Like, I think if you have two kids and they're teenagers, you better put that in there uh, because you know the, the effects that, uh, that that can have. Um, no, I appreciate uh, being here. Um, for sure, when I come to Colorado, it, there's certain parts that I love about it. I get to visit with my family, so my brother-in-law who's here, him and my sister live here in Colorado Springs, so that's always a lot of fun to spend some time with them. And coming here, I'm reminded of the really crappy climate of Houston, Texas that I live in and how beautiful it is here. Um, so that's great. But there are a couple of things that I cannot stand about here. Uh, one is, it does remind me how much I hate Houston. And then I'm reminded how out of shape I am with the freaking elevation in this place. I get winded taking my shoes off yesterday. I mean, that's not something that you expect to uh, expect to happen. So it is with mixed emotions that I hang out in, uh, in Colorado Springs. But I'm glad to have an opportunity to visit with you guys. Um, I do live in Friendswood, Texas. And so most people had never heard of Friendswood, Texas up until Hurricane Harvey. And we're now famous for uh, uh, being, other than Hawaii, uh, the place that received the most rain in any given three-day period. We had 49 inches of rain in, uh, in three days. Um, we have a lot of creeks that run through our community. Um, and, every, you know, hey, I want to live by the creek because it's beautiful. Well, if you live by the creek, uh, you experienced massive damage. Um, our particular home, uh, we were fortunate we did not have damage. Uh, I told some of the guys I felt like I was, living, I was a king because I had a moat around my house for a little while, uh, which isn't supposed to be that way. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, the rain went away for us, no damage, and our power was on the whole time. And that's such an uncommon thing. About 30 to 35% of the houses in our community were lost, um, lost being just completely damaged and will have to be, uh, have to be rebuilt. Um, it, it's a weird process because the first... For us, it was about nine to ten days of intense, intense activity. Uh, with the first few days were being people rescued from homes. I remember I woke up on August, uh, August 26th, 10 a.m. I'll never forget it, probably for the rest of my life. Uh, as I stepped up to the window to look out and see how much rain had come, uh, I saw a massive military vehicle drive down my street and turn into the high school. We live right across from, uh, from Friendswood High School. And I thought, what's happening? And so I texted a buddy of mine and I said, hey, what's going on at the high school? And he said, uh, we need some blankets and towels. Can you go over there and bring some? Sure. We live across the street. It's raining a little, but not bad. It had slowed down. So my wife and I loaded up some blankets and some towels. And we walked across the high school, fully expecting to drop off blankets and towels for a few folks and go home. Well, when we walked into the high school... There was about three people there who, one, was kind of sort of in charge. And there was an enormous number of people soaking wet with nothing but a backpack or, in some cases, only a couple of towels to their name. And they were unloading military vehicles and they were pouring into the high school. And it was, had instantly been converted into a shelter uh, with, by the way, zero equipped to be a shelter. Um, there, were, there was nobody there. There was no food to feed people. I mean, other than they had showers and they had towels, uh, but people were piling into this place uh, with, uh, in desperate situations. So I live in a great community, uh, and as most great communities do, they respond dramatically. And ours responded dramatically. Actually, we went from we don't have enough towels and blankets to uh, 24 hours later, hey, will y'all stop bringing towels and blankets? We can't handle any more of them. We have way too many of them. We went from 
man, we need more people over here to help. To, okay, you guys, some people have to go home. We have to start working in shifts here because there's way too many people and it is an incredibly chaotic uh, situation. Um, But that whole thing taught me a tremendous amount. (laughs) Taught me not only a tremendous amount about myself, uh, but a tremendous amount about the community that we lived in. I thought it was great before. I mean, we've been living in in South Texas now for about seven years. um, And my wife and I really enjoyed it. This experience further solidified our appreciation and love for the people in the community and what the community uh, stood for. You always hear these conversations about unity. And it feels like, particularly in this day and age, a bit of a nebulous concept. Like, yeah, right. I hear it, but I don't see it. Man, I saw it. I saw it. I lived it for two straight weeks, morning and night between a shelter and a couple of other things that we were working on. And I still, still see it now. We're at this kind of lull because, you know, people had to get rescued and houses had to be, uh, there's a term, mucked out of house. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. I never heard it until this happened. Uh, mucking out of house is that you go in and you get all the gunk that's on the floor and you go two feet above the water line and you cut the sheetrock out all the way around the entire house and everything goes in the front yard. Everything goes in the front yard. And so imagine for just a minute you walk into a house and all the sheetrock is gone like four feet up. It, you're lucky if you're four feet up. And You guys won't appreciate this nearly as much as my brother-in-law in the back will, but I know, I know a lot about construction now. I'm like the least handy dude to walk the planet. I knew nothing about sheetrock. Sheetrock's four feet uh, uh, tall. Who'd have known? But that's all you see in all of these houses is empty sheetrock and studs. So... Now we're at this low period where um, houses have to dry. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know anything about Houston, Texas, uh, but it's not a very dry environment. Uh, it's like a terrarium. We always describe it as I felt like I moved to a rainforest. And I moved to Houston from Atlanta. So, I mean, and, and it's a big difference. Houston is crazy, crazy humid. Now you have to wait for homes to dry, and it's unfortunate, but we've got people going in and coming from out of town saying, hey, I can fix your house because people can't find good contractors. And what's happening is uh, people are starting to fix houses before they're ready. A bit of a mess. There's a long way to go for cleanup to happen in our community. It will be a year, two years, uh, maybe even multiple years in some parts of the city. I'm most familiar with our area, but it'll be a long time before people's houses are fixed and people can get back to uh, to living in them. And I know f- and there was tons of people who were impacted by the uh, by the hurricane, not only in our area, but kind of all along that particular spot of the country. I said I'd learned a lot about myself during this time um, because I spent most of my life living for myself. Um, I th- as I thought about coming to talk to you guys tonight, one of the words that kept going over in my head over and over again, was the topic of ambition. And if you think about the word ambition, it's like this pursuit. And I think it's a really relevant word because most people, especially a group of guys, are pursuing something. Now, in some cases, you might be pursuing success at work or just living week to week. Or maybe in some cases, people are pursuing trying not to do too much at work and have kind of a mellow, peaceful, easy life. But most people are in pursuit of something. The reason I think 
understanding what we're in pursuit of is really, really important is one, it'll, it'll help you define what you think of success because you're pursuing things that you think you really want. That'll give you a definition of success. But the other reason I think it's really important is what we're pursuing defines where and how we invest what we have, where we invest our money, where we invest our time, where we invest our emotional energy. You can call all those things. Those are the objects of our ambition. If you're not sure what you're pursuing... Like if it just doesn't come to your mind quickly, some people it does, man, I know exactly what I'm after. Other people it doesn't. Go look where you spend your money. Go look where you're spending your time. And go look where you're investing a lot of your own emotional energy or your talents. Somewhere on that track is where you're defining your success. And for me, I spent most of my life defining success based on what I achieved. Um, for a little, I want to give you just a little bit of background on me because I think it's important before I, before I share a few of the, the stories that got me up to this, this point. Um, so I grew up in Texas, uh, uh, in Dallas, Texas. Don't throw anything at me yet. I guess I am, in fact, a diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. I know, I know, I know. Hey, look, I felt safe coming into Colorado because you guys crushed us. So I knew that I would come in hat in hand. Um, thank, you, guys were, you guys were amazing and, 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 and uh, put some punishment on us. We deserved it. But I grew up in Dallas. And uh, um, my, I grew up with a great family, great parents. And I actually grew up with a little bit of faith in my home. We went to church on Sundays. <clears throat> and when I think about faith and family for my life, faith was one of those things that we went to church on Sundays, but that was kind of it. We kind of did whatever the rest of the week. Live for yourself, pursue the things that you think are important, whatever. Um, my family and my parents were great and still are great today, but they went through a divorce when I was young, when I was 12. And I don't know about you, but if you ever go through as a teenager with an enormous amount of freedom, unsupervised freedom, I might say, you can get into a teeny tiny bit of trouble. Well, I, I lived with a working mom who was working her tail off to keep our family together. And so she was gone all the time. And I was a teenager, and I experimented with a lot of things. And it was actually during that time that uh, I realized this idea of going after something and getting it, winning or achieving, that there was great fulfillment in that. You know? Early, it started in the space of athletics at that time. Now, I know you're probably looking at me going, seriously, Craig, how much athletics did you participate in? Like most guys I've met, you know, my athletic career went like many, which was in elementary school, I killed it. In high school, started winding down a little bit. In college, I watched it on TV. Um, but early on for me, uh, athletics was an arena that kind of achievement uh, or I directed my approach in achievement and had some decent success. I played basketball in high school. Um, and it's one of the first things that I remember really, really having ambition to pursue is I wanted to play college basketball. And I was willing to put in the work. And I put in a tremendous amount of work. Um, but again, not probably hard to tell that I didn't start with like the greatest package to play college basketball. Uh, so despite all the great work and effort I put in, um, an injury my senior year combined with a enormous lack of real talent, uh, uh, it ended. 
uh, it ended, that ended for me. But I remember the feeling of pursue, pursuing and achieving, and it felt pretty good. And so in college, I kind of redirected that. It wasn't going to be athletics anymore, and I had to find something else. And in college, I looked, it, it turned into this kind of popularity pursuit in two spaces. This probably won't surprise you, but number one was girls, and number two was any dudes who hung out with a lot of girls. That was really the place where my ambition and pursuit kind of turned to. And it was the same thing. I mean, I had success and achievement, and it felt pretty good. But when I got out of school and started a career, got my first job, that's when ambition took on a totally different feel. I mean, you know, it's one thing to pursue athletic stuff, kind of cool, not good at it. It's one thing to pursue partying and having fun with your friends. But man, when you get into the work environment and now you have real things that you can pursue and you can make money doing it and you can find success and people you have influence and people will look at you and go, man, you're successful based on what you're doing. That arena of work is really what captured my pursuit. And I spent most all my 20s chasing after success at work. And I was pretty ambitious. I found success when I was, when I was fairly young. <clears throat> my first real job was in the mattress industry. Uh, and this was almost 25 years ago. Um, and I was willing to move anywhere. Left Texas, moved to Ohio, then quickly moved to Chicago. I wanted to learn and I wanted to move up. And you get rewarded when you want to do that. I distinctly remember I was 26 years old, sitting on my couch in my own house that I owned, uh, making a lot of money, driving a great car, traveled when I wanted, and did what I wanted. And I remember sitting on this couch thinking, man, I'm awesome. I'm freaking killing it. And all of a sudden, I had this enormous sense of emptiness inside of me. And this question popped into my head. There has to be more to life than this. What more is there? If this is it, it's empty. Well, I was, pers- I was in pursuit, so I didn't s- stay there very long. And I, I kind of quickly blew that off and I moved on uh, to the next thing because I didn't want to stay there that long. And the next real big pursuit for me took me to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and it was another job, another promotion, and another opportunity to continue to move up and pursue career success. And this time, as I experienced fairly good uh, career progress, I kind of turned it a little bit towards women because I have a great opportunity with them now. And Atlanta, Georgia, man, the girls are really pretty in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to Atlanta, Georgia, but the girls, the Georgia peach thing, I mean, that is, there is a lot of truth in that. Um, but I met this one girl at the place where I worked. And this time, it was different. She actually captured my attention more than any had ever captured it before. <clears throat> and I knew that something was different in this particular situation, but I still had this pursue, pursue, pursue thing. And it created tension in our relationship. Tension to the point of one night we had this enormous fight. And I, this is a, I never had done this before, but this first, this fight we had, I'd never, how are you, man? Sorry, 
I was telling this great girl story, and then this dude walks in. Now, you know. <laughs> uh, no, big dude. She did not look like him. So, um, no, but she, uh, we had this enormous fight, and I'd never done this before, but I left. I got really, really frustrated and walked out of the house, and that wasn't common for me to do. And I got in my car, and I drove around, and I ended up in this parking lot, frustrated what was going on. I didn't quite understand it. And I look, and I'm sitting in a church parking lot. Well, I, don't, I didn't go to that church. I didn't even know that church was there. I just ended up in a parking lot in front of a church. And I wasn't really one to pray a whole lot at that point in time in my life. Actually, if I think about it, I probably did pray. But it was probably when things like were going bad. Like, oh, crap, God, if you're there, help a brother out because uh, I need some help. Um, but I didn't this night. I didn't that night. I'm not, I, actually, I don't even really remember much of what I prayed. But I do remember this. I remember I drove in that parking lot really frustrated. And I left that place with kind of this sense of peace and calm that, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I went back and everything turned out to be okay. I, I, I laughed because as I thought about this story, I don't even know what my wife or my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, what we even fought about. I knew it was volatile enough for me to leave, but I don't even remember what the issue was. But that we ended up reconciling that. We got married. Um, We've been married for 19 years now. Um, once that was settled, really I moved to my, what I consider my next biggest pursuit and my most ambitious attempt. Well, you know, when you're young, and, and I look around, some of you guys, young's being relative, so uh, if you're, I'm, I'm about to be 50, so if you're under 50, uh, then you're young to me. Some of you guys might be like a year or two over 50. Uh, so not, no, young is relative, but when you're young, and I'm going to call young in your 20s, and you're chasing things, you think you're bulletproof. You think that all that you do will work. And I was that. I mean, I had a great job and a great career, but I was calling on these retailers who I didn't think were very sharp. And I thought if they could have great businesses on their own, why can't I? So I left Atlanta, moved to Phoenix, Arizona to open my own chain of mattress stores. I thought if they could do it, I could do it. And I took some of my family with me, and uh, we went out there and we opened a business. At 30 years old, we started, uh, I started an attempt to own my own company. And the first couple years were great. We opened a few stores. We had great success. We were having fun. We were making money on the outside. We looked, you checked the boxes, good house, new wife, owned my own business, successful things going. But on the inside, I remember being captured by this sense of frustration and anxiety and there's more, 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 and more. Well, those first few years of running that business were, as I said, they were a lot of fun. But then, and many in this room will recall this day, then 9-11 occurred in our country. And if you were around then, you probably remember exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing. I was sitting in a mattress store uh, waiting for people to come in to buy beds when that happened. Well, that point in time happened to be a point in time where we had made a decision in our company to grow fast. We were going to add a whole bunch of stores. Well, post 9-11, as many of you recall, uh, the economy had a rough run. And this is my super sophisticated business uh, uh, model that I have. 
when your expenses go up, this is probably be new to some of you guys, so I'm going to keep it simple. When your expenses go up and your sales go way down, that's super bad. <laughs> I went to college for that. Um, and, uh, and man, our expenses went way up and our sales went way down. People just stopped buying products. It was the first time in my life where I was faced with, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, this is a pretty massive failure. We have a problem. In fact, one night I drove home, Thursday night. I remember it was a Thursday night because Friday was payroll. Friday payroll hit, and our, we had 70 employees that it's, you know, auto deposit, auto withdrawal. It's happening on Friday, and we didn't have enough money in the bank to cover our payroll that night, Thursday night. I drive into my driveway. I stop, sit in my car. I grab my steering wheel, and I say, Lord, if you don't want me to have this business anymore, I really need you to take it away from me. Because I own it. Like, I can't resign. I can't quit. I can't leave. I need you to take it away from me. And by the way, I sure would appreciate it if we could hit payroll tomorrow. Um, And that was probably the most anxiety-filled, tense moment that I can uh, recall. In fact, when I think about it now, I can still relive some of those feelings of desperation in my driveway. Um, Well, we made payroll. Uh, Fortunately, that night, a lot of our credit card receipts hit and we got just enough money in the account to make payroll and cleared it that, uh, that Friday. But almost to the day, 90 days from when I sat in my driveway, uh, we sold the company. And I used the word sold. I gave the company to somebody. Uh, we gave the company to the corporate group, to somebody who had won it, because I couldn't sell it. It wasn't worth anything. And there was so much money owed on the business um, that there was nothing more that we could do. 90 days after, 90 days happens and I find myself unemployed and I have no idea what the future is going to be like. The only thing that was different this time was before that business failure, my wife and I had started going to, uh, we started going to this church in Arizona. I don't even remember why we started going to church, honestly. We just felt like we wanted to go. And I remember this guy one day shared a story about, Uh, Actually, he shared this statement. He said, maybe some of you are familiar with religion, rituals and uh, traditions attached to it, which I was. But then he said, uh, but many of you may not be familiar with relationship. And I don't know why, but that day that guy said that, I was like, whoa, hang on a second. That's new to me. I want to know about this relationship thing that you're talking about. And he went on to explain a variety of things. Um, a number of things that are found right in the Bible. The first place the guy went was to the book of Romans in uh, chapter 3, verse 23, and it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now listen, when a guy said to me, Hey, you've sinned, I didn't have trouble admitting that. I mean, I knew the way I was living my life and the things that I was doing weren't honoring God, but quite frankly, I didn't think that much about it. I didn't have trouble saying, oh, sure, I'm a sinner. Here was the difference. He went on to share that the Bible says that for the wages of sin is death, complete and utter separation from God. That was new to me. I didn't realize that I was fully separated from God because of that sin. I thought, look, I'm not as bad as a few other people. I do some good stuff now and then. I should be fine. But when I was faced with the truth of what it said, You are separated because of your sin. It forced me to come to grips with 
truth. But then the guy went on to share verses like John 3.16. You know, you see those on the posters. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever shall believe in Him shall have eternal life. That got my attention. That got my attention. And then he went on in, in, uh, in Romans 10, in just sharing in Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you can be saved. Well, when I heard all that, I knew, you know what, I, I want that. I want that relationship. And a funny thing happened that day when I surrendered my life to Jesus. Um, the way that I saw things changed. Because remember, that night I drove into my driveway and I couldn't make payroll and everything was falling apart. Well, that was after I had made that decision to surrender my life to Jesus. And I had every reason in the world to think that things were hopeless. And I didn't. I went before God and prayed and we navigated through that, uh, through that situation. But what I f have found is over the course of my life since that time, I think I'm ambitious and in pursuit of things as I ever have been in my life. But what I'm pursuing today is very different from what I pursued before I made that decision. Today I pursue things like sharing my story and talking about Jesus. I pursue trying to understand and know God a little bit more in regards to how He reveals Himself through the Bible. And I pursue living this life that's more around giving than getting. And I say, I mean, it's a pursuit for me. I don't, I'm not there at all. But the change from, particularly in that space, from getting is what really, really underscored my life to giving has been a big change. And I've got to tell you, I'm glad. I am glad that discovering the truth of what the Bible had to say and changing the way that I saw what I wanted to pursue and achieve happened. I'm glad it happened. Because this past April, after 24 years and 11 months in one industry, and great success, I found myself out of a job. I was the chief strategy officer of a company. I was, I guess on the list, I was number, the CEO got hit by a bus, and the COO got hit by a bus. I run the company. <clears throat> And in a matter of 10 days, I went from that to, well, I don't have a job now. And it happened really quick. And I didn't plan it. And then you fast forward and we, I end up in this Hurricane Harvey thing. You know, I never would have been able to be involved with the things that I was involved with if I had a job. Now, don't get me wrong, I'd rather have a job, I think. But God used that time in a way that I never could have expected. Right now, as I stand in front of you guys tonight, I should be freaking out. I had a great career, and now I'm unemployed. <clears throat> I had great clarity on where I wanted to go, and I don't now. But I can stand in front of you as, as truthfully as I can express that I've never felt more peace. I've never felt calmer. I've actually never felt more excited about the, uh, the future, even though it's massively unknown 
to me uh, right now. I am running my own business. I say I'm running my own business. I am because I don't have a job, so I started a little business. I do teach uh, part-time. I teach at the University of Houston. I teach in the marketing department right now, part-time. Uh, and I do another part-time gig. So I'm doing a, hand, a couple of part-time things right now. Um, but I have no idea what the future is going to hold for me. And I'm okay with it. I know if it was 20 years ago, before I made that decision to surrender my life to Jesus, I, I actually am scared to think how I would feel about it. That great uncertainty, that loss of control. You know, a lot of times you hear this saying about surrendering to Jesus. And when people think about surrender, you think, well, man, you're giving up something. Surrender as a word is weak. I disagree. I very much disagree. I think surrendering to Christ is surrendering control of stuff that you don't even have control of. You think you do, but you don't. I thought I did, and I didn't. See, surrendering to Christ to me is more about gain and what I gain. The Bible uses this term freedom in Christ. Man, I know it. I feel it. I live it. There is freedom. It's freedom from the anxiety. It's freedom from that empty feeling I felt that day in Chicago when I had everything, I thought, and I felt so empty was freedom from that frustration that I experienced that night after that fight with my now wife. Um, and I for sure know it was freedom from freaking out about the future when everything was falling down around me that point in time with my, with my business in Arizona. I actually think surrender in this case is much more gain than it is giving up everything. So I'm going to wrap us up because I know we're at the end and we're going to play some cards. So what I'd like to do is challenge you that you might be in a spot in your life where maybe you have been kind of holding on to this idea of surrender. Or maybe you think that you have control over the things in your life and you realize as we sit here and talk and you look inside your own heart and inside your own experiences and you say to yourself, I don't have control over that. You know what? I'm tired of walking the line. I'm tired of trying to hold on to things I can't control. Well, you can make that decision to surrender that to Christ now, tonight. And so I'm going to pray. And uh, just as you sit in your chair and you think about your own life. You know, God knocked on my door in Chicago that night on that couch, in that church parking lot, and in that driveway. He was knocking. He might be knocking on yours. So I'm going to pray. And if you think tonight is your time to surrender your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to just repeat that prayer, the prayer that I'm going to say in the quiet of your own heart. And you can make that decision. So let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that your death on the cross allows me to be right with you. So, Lord, I surrender my life to you and I ask you to take leadership of my life tonight. I know that you've covered my sin and that I know when I surrender my life to you, I get a new life. And I want that tonight, Jesus. And I ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Look, I don't know where uh, 
anybody. I never, you never know. I never know where anybody is in their life uh, if it's not people that I've spent time around. But <clears throat> what I do know is if you've made a decision to surrender your life to Christ, I just ask you to do one thing, man. Just tell somebody who means a lot to you. Tell them that you did that. Tell them that you did it and it becomes real. And I know, um, you want me to say something about this card or are you going to cover the card? Yeah, 